Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Happy New Year, Truth and Justice audience. Welcome back. Thanks for uh, giving us the opportunity to take a week off to spend some time with our families and and, and take care of our holiday affairs. Uh, today's follow-up episode is the follow-up for Season 9, Episode 15. Uh, again, one of my an, another time, one of my favorite conversations that I had with Mr. Paul Holes. We were talking about the Golden State Killer case or the Joseph D'Angelo case. It was a really interesting, probably our longest episode. There's so much details. I think Paul did a fantastic job of really walking us through step by step every detail of the case. But we still got a lot to talk about. We got a bunch of questions from you guys. I got Mike and Zach in the room with me. So we're going to go ahead and get started. First follow up of 2021. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, first of all, before we get started, some listeners weren't too happy with Paul's production of his West Memphis 3 episode on the Murder Squad podcast. Can you explain what was going on there and why some people might not have liked it? Yeah, I see you were trying to dance around the uh, the fact that some people said basically they were really upset with that episode. And we were, too. We talked about it last year when it came out. Yeah, I'll be honest. I, I'm on, I was on that side of the fence with those listeners. So this is interesting because um, for those of you that don't know, because there's some people that maybe don't know this, right after my TV series on auction came out, The Forgotten West Memphis 3, like within a week, ID Discovery had a special on it. And then about a couple weeks after that, on the Murder Squad podcast, Paul and Billy did an episode on the West Memphis Three. And it was, by most people that know the case, either with, on either side, most people thought that it was pretty poorly researched. We talked about it here on the, on the podcast. I was upset with it. Zach, who's, you know, that's how Zach and I really got to be friends, really, was over the West Memphis Three case because he's, he has uh, been deeply into the case and studying it for years and years and years. Um, so yeah, so, so essentially the nice version was there were some people that asked, how could you have a conversation with him after he did such a terrible job on that? So before I answer that, I think this is a chance Zach for you to, cause this is one of the few times where Zach came in. He's like, you know what? I haven't really done much research on this case because I don't like Paul Holes. And why is that Zach? I mean, cause I don't know who Paul Holes is besides that. Right. You don't have a bat. You didn't, you I didn't have, know him before that. I have no background on him. I don't know anything about him besides the fact that you asked me to listen to that podcast. Right. And I even stopped that podcast from listening to it and text you. And I said, do you seriously want me to listen to this podcast? Uh-huh. 
because I was pretty upset by it. So now going back, I listened to this podcast, this episode, and it was interesting, but I had a hard time because I was like, this is the same guy that gave us all that crap before. Right. Like, how do I know that this is true? So, so you had that kind of lens on the whole time you were listening. Yeah. That yeah. This, this is the guy that screwed up the West Memphis This is the case. guy that screwed up the West Memphis 3 case and, and told us a bunch of stuff that, that was pretty sure was not true. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he, went, he went really weird on it. So now I have this guy telling me about a different case that I don't know that I feel he's the right person for. Or like, yeah, like you can't believe him if you if he's yeah if exactly. he said something before that that you know is a lie. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to believe him. Right. So that being said, he I don't think I mean he wasn't really lying in that episode. It was he said in the episode when he did it that he literally knew nothing about the West Memphis Three case and just. Listeners wanted him to do an episode on it, probably in response to our special coming out. Mm-hmm. Like, you should talk about West Memphis 3. And he said he, he spent a week quickly researching it, and they did his episode. Uh, the ultimate conclusion he came to in that episode was that the West Memphis 3 were very likely murdered by a serial killer, mm-hmm. which I and every profiler that's ever, ever studied the case would staunchly disagree with. But it was kind of the take that uh, on that ID Discovery uh, episode. Was that maybe it was some kind of serial killer? It, it, it well, I, I have to say I love Paul, but it was it was it was poorly researched. It wasn't, and again, he kind of admitted that, and uh, it wasn't put together real well. So that put a nasty taste in people's mouth, and, and that's what it did for me. Is it just gave me that bias, and and I had that lens going into this, right? So it's, it was a little hard for me. And, and the reason why, because I would say probably one hundred percent of our listeners also didn't like that episode mm-hmm. uh, that he did on West Memphis Three. But the reason why so many of them were still love this episode and couldn't wait to hear it is because they don't only know Paul from that. Uh, so Paul Holes has been a major player in the true crime space for a while, and he's former law enforcement, and he's widely renowned as a fantastic investigator. And he, you know, like I said, the story he told the story. I mean, he was the guy. The, the the Joseph D'Angelo was caught because of his persistence. He never gave up the case. He continued to work on it every free minute he had. He's the one that connected. You know, the Northern California and the Southern California cases together through DNA because he kept pushing and pushing and pushing. I mean, he, so, so most people, myself included, know Paul. And I knew Paul personally. I met him. I've, I've, I've had lunch with him before because he's also a good friend of Jim Clemente. So on CrimeCon, the three of us have had, had lunches together. So most people know Paul for all of that and, it was, and see it as, you know, he kind of screwed up that episode, but I still love Paul. And, and, and that's where I'm coming from, too. Funny part about it is I'm sure you guys are seeing the, uh, how these format, the format of these shows, these episodes, how they kind of play out. So what I try to do, and, and of course I read every guest, so this doesn't always happen, but the first segment when we're getting to know them, I try to make it a little more lighthearted. And I always write down a, what I think will be kind of a fun question to end that segment before we go into the case. Um, and then a lot of times just a, a fun question, a fun thing will come to me. Like when we had the uh, was it Ash and Elena on that I had, uh, you know, take us into the break in Russian because through the conversation, she told me that she, you know, studied Russian, which that really flopped, by the way, because she didn't remember how to speak Russian. Um, so anyway, so I try to have kind of a fun question to end the segment, <laughs> a fun question to end the segment on. And for Paul, I had wrote down two options. One was the question that you heard where I kind of had that bit where, you know, as a professional investigator, I need you to explain to me why it is that I don't have a person to schedule my stuff. Uh, which was fun. Uh, the other question that I had written down was, Paul, with all of your vast years as an investigator, your your, your world-renowned for your investigative skills, 
So as an investigator, I need you to explain to me that in regards to the West Memphis Three, why you're so wrong and why I'm so right, <laughs> <laughs> which was the question that I was going to ask him. Now, understand, Paul, we talked for, for uh, probably half hour, hour before we started recording. Paul's funny. He's got a sense of humor. Paul, I, 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 can, I think I can speak for him and say he would not have been offended by that. I didn't not ask the question because I thought it would be upsetting. I think that we would have had a fun conversation about it. The reason I, I chose not to ask it, because a few people are like, how oh, the hell could you not have asked that? It was because of time. Um, because our pre-roll, our, our, our first segment, which I try to keep to 10 minutes, was already a little bit over that when we got to that point where we're ready to move on to the next segment. Uh, and I knew the, the, how in-depth the, his our discussion would be about the Golden State Killer case. I knew that you know an episode where we shoot for 45 minutes in length was very likely going to be over an hour already. And that question would have sparked, no doubt, 10 to 20 minutes of discussion. So it was strictly a production choice is why I decided to go the other route where we could have a fun little quip and move on instead of something that was going to lead into a long discussion. Uh, but, you know, I don't have any in hell. Maybe he's right. Uh, he's not, though. I'm right. Um, but, but, you know, it's, I, I don't fault the guy for having an opinion. I, I have most certainly got behind the microphone and recorded a podcast that weren't as well researched as they should have been. Uh, and I've, and I've, I've screwed up plenty in my day, but I don't, you know, Paul one is a great person. Uh, you know, I, I like the guy a lot. He's, he's, you know, unquestionably a fantastic investigator and he's a good podcaster. He just, uh, you know, he made a mistake. He should have listened to me. Well, I'll make sure I give him another chance. Tiffany says, is there anything known about D'Angelo's childhood? Yeah, there, I mean, there, there's plenty of information. I won't say plenty, but there's definitely information online. I've researched it a little bit. Uh, so Joseph D'Angelo was the son of a military father. I want to say his dad was in the Air Force, might have been Army, but they moved around. I think he might have actually been even born in Germany or something, or they were stationed there at some time. But, but they moved around a lot. I, I've read that as a child... He witnessed his sister being sexually assaulted by someone on an Air Force base at one point when so, they were little. Soldiers on a German Air Force base, right? I mean, on a U.S. Air Force base in Germany. I yeah, I think that's what it was. I think. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was something like that, where he had. They said that he had, and I don't know if that's confirmed or not, but that's something to witness. And then his his sister later shared after he was caught and convicted that she alleges that he was also abused i think physically and sexually by his father growing up but that, that's kind of the as much as i know enough to get into here is is there are these two allegations he was definitely he's the the son of a of a military man they moved around a lot suppose allegedly he witnesses his sister being molested and allegedly he was abused by his father growing up and other than that that's really all i know about his childhood Jennifer says, could you make out the steel blue? Okay. <laughs> Read it. Jennifer says, could you make out the steel blue of Paul Hole's eyes from your Zoom call? I just want that to be the blooper. Just so you go, can you make out the steel? Okay. I want, I want him to leave it in. <laughs> All right. Uh, she follows up with, he's so dreamy. <laughs> Well, I have to be honest with you. Paul is quite dreamy. Uh, I, I do a lot of these interviews over the telephone. I specifically requested Paul's be over Zoom so that I could gaze into his beautiful blue eyes. Uh, he, yes, I guess he, he's 
And that was for those of you that don't. There are people that maybe don't know what Paul looks like. He is a he's a handsome devil, uh, and that's why it, I had said when at CrimeCon. So there was a CrimeCon maybe in Nashville where like I was hanging out with him a little bit. We were, you were there, Mike. We were hanging around with with Jim. We had lunch with that whole. He was remember that lunch we sat down and had. Yes. Yeah, he was in there. He at was, the restaurant at the hotel. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. was he was there with us having lunch. And then in the next crime con, we go to New Orleans and I'm like, oh, there's Paul. And there's just literally like a flock of women following him everywhere he went and you can't get to him. So he is he is the he is the rock star cover of GQ magazine guy for the true crime space. And yes, I could see see his steely blue eyes in our conversation. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Joe says, are there any unsolved crimes they can't link through DNA that they think D'Angelo might be responsible for? I don't think so. Um, and based on what, uh, I don't remember if it was on the air or off the air, well, what, what Paul had shared, it doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, There's there have been attempts made to, to check other unsolved cases and test the DNA against it. Uh, and, and I think Paul's way he were was he's, he's pretty confident that they know all the crimes that he was responsible for it, regarding sexual assaults, uh, kidnapping, murder, those things. Now, remember he was the Visalia ransacker before any of this. So, Certainly, there could be cases where he was breaking into houses and you know stealing things out of the underwear drawers and some of the creepy stuff he was doing there, but nothing where there would be like DNA. Can we talk about the names for a second? Sure. Because he went by the... Well, he didn't go by. Well, I know he didn't go by, but they call him that. They call him the East Area Rapist. Right. They called him the Night Stalker, which is the one that I got confused on at first. Well, then they call him the original Night the, Stalker. Yeah, because what what's his... George Ramirez, is that his name? Some I think so, yeah. Is the one that goes by the Night Stalker. Right. So, yeah, there's, and then the Gold State Killer. So, a lot of that was, one question I didn't get a chance to ask Paul, this has nothing to do with what you're saying, I guess, but. Um, That's how all of our conversations go. Right. <laughs> Which, but one thing I was going to ask him, we just ran out of time, was how, like, could this happen today? You always see, the, you know, look at, you know, Ted Bundy, you know, people that had these, like, crime sprees all over, you know, Joe D'Angelo that did these things, if they could happen today? And the answer is probably no, because, you know, th there's now a system in place to interlock data between agencies. You know, there's there's CODIS and there's APHIS. You know, when you whenever you arrest somebody, you take their fingerprints and you upload them to a database. And when it uploads, if they if it connects to another crime, it'll show up. And, if, you know, people so it's harder for these things to happen but back in the 70s. 
those didn't exist. And I think that's part of the reason. So the reason why this happened. So the Visalia ransacker was, you know, it was, it was Joe D'Angelo, but all they knew is there was a group, there was, there was someone that was going into all these places and doing just that ransacking and, and, you know, breaking in and maybe people would see him and he'd run out. And, and so the newspaper, the media coined him as the Visalia ransacker. Well, then he, he devolves or evolves, however you want to look at it into these, these sexual assaults. And he's in the, the east area of, um, I want to say Sacramento, but I, I hope I don't have that wrong. I've, I've, I've recorded so many interviews this week, I can't remember which case I'm talking about. I think it was east area of Sacramento, but and there was all these rapes happening. And so then, of course, the newspapers coined him the east area rapist. And then now the Night Stalker, original Night Stalker, has always confused me a little bit. But, but it, it seems like when he had moved further north, and and was doing the same type of things that was happening i believe i could be totally wrong on this but i believe it was kind of happening similar in time to when the night stalker ramirez or, or was doing his thing and i think they thought those were all part of the same series of crimes oh uh, okay and then i then i think later then it was it was, it was so they were calling the, all of those the the night stalker. So it was like the, his his kind of reign of terror there. They were the media was referring to him as the night stalker, and then Ramirez starts doing his thing, and they think it's connected to what D'Angelo was doing, and so they attribute those to the night stalker later through the work Paul did when they connect the night stalker crimes to the East Area rapist crimes. They realize these are connected and these aren't. So then since they were calling those the Night Stalker crimes and then these the Night Stalker crimes, then this becomes the original Night Stalker crimes. And then these are the Night Stalker. And then it was the Golden State Killer, I want to say was Michelle McNamara. I think she coined that phrase. Um, I'm not positive about that, but, but you know, because for a long time it was, they called Erons, which was the abbreviation of East Area Rapist, E-A-R, and original Night Stalker ONS, so they called it the Erons case, and that might have even been before they connected the Visalia ransacker stuff to him. And so they, it, so it just had to do with series of crimes in different locations uh, that were they were able to lump this together, but they weren't connecting the dots between the two. And so, as media did, especially back then, they loved to throw a tagline. It seems like there's less and less of that now because I think people have realized that it's almost boosting the ego of of these horrible offenders by giving them a nickname like the South Bend shovel slayer. Is that a thing? You made, you made that up. It's in home alone. Oh, dang it. I derailed it. Yes. And there we go. (laughs) That's what they call the neighbor at home alone. South Bend shovel slayer. South Bend shovel slayer. Swear to God. Look it up. Why South Bend? Cause they're in Chicago. So that's where he, they said they like, he killed a bunch of people and then moved to Chicago. Oh, but that's that's the name of it. That's if the the neighbor is called the South, the, they call him the South Bend Shovel Slayer. Yeah, I was, right. I was so scared of that guy in that movie as a kid. So uh, yeah, they don't do things like that anymore. I'm proud of that. Good job, Zach. Carla says, "Has D'Angelo's ex-wife or children ever commented on his crimes?" I've never seen where his children have. That's not to say they haven't, but I have never seen where they have. His ex-wife has spoken out. From what I was able to find exactly once, she gave a, a victim impact statement at his his sentencing hearing, and she said that, because she divorced, obviously, after he she found out what he was, she divorced him, 
but they allowed her to give a victim impact statement. But she said, I don't want my statement to overshadow these victims. But what she wanted to say was that she's horrified to find out who he really is and that she had no idea. They, they got married in 1973. The East Area Rapist cases started in 76. So he's with her the whole time that he's with her. And she said she was, um, she's a lawyer. Uh, she's a divorce attorney, actually. Uh, interesting, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's the one job <laughs> right. that she could have yeah. that makes me think uh, she would have been on to him. You think so? <laughs> and she, she said in her statement that she said, looking back on it, he, that he would lie to her about where he was at night, that he would, she remembered him going out late at night. But he would lie to her about where where he was, and that she had she had no idea that any of this had happened. So I know a lot of the dates like run with the same time he was employed as police officer. Do you think that, some of them? Do you think that being a police officer was a would help him commit these crimes? Well, they did for sure when he started. I want to say when he was still the East Area Rapist. Mm. So so his the reign of his crimes. I think they started in seventy six. I think the Visalia Ransacker cases were prior to that even, maybe okay. 73. Don't quote me on that. And then it was, I want to say it was like five years up till like 81. And then they stopped. And then in 86 was his final crime. So okay. It was, it was like 10 years. And, all, I, and I believe he was a police officer from like 76 to 79 or something like that. Yeah. For, for some of that time. And he got, uh, he was, it's actually pretty scary. He was, so he was fired from the police department because he got caught shoplifting. And he was shoplifting things to use as the East Area Rapist. Yeah, that's terrifying. Uh, it was like hammers and duct tape. Uh, gosh, I can't remember. There was a list. I had it on the tip of my tongue before I came in here. But it was very clearly like a kit that he was going to use to abduct people. That it, And he got caught shoplifting. Of course, they didn't make that connection. Uh, but they fired. But but yes, definitely his you know being a cop helped him. I mean, he, he was out. Between the fact that he was out patrolling, he knew... Uh, you know, he he was able to stalk and plan his attacks. He, he knew what police would be looking for, you know, and, and how to get away. And then always had the you know kind of in his back pocket that you know if he gets caught, he can be like, oh, I was just in the neighborhood and was was checking out. You know, I w- I was here to I, I heard there was a call for distress or something like that. Stacy says, I'm fascinated by this case. I've watched all the documentaries, but I've never heard of anybody interviewing the current family members of Joseph D'Angelo. I'm wondering if the current wife and his children had ever seen any signs that he could have been a very angry or violent person. Have you guys ever heard of the family members being interviewed regarding his behavior as a husband and father? It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. No, I mean, I feel like I have, I, I feel like I have, I, I said that I don't think his daughters or his kids have spoken, but I feel like I have seen them speak at some point. But my understanding is that they, that none of them saw it coming. You know, whenever he stopped, you know, in '86 or whenever that they, you know, he was just a normal guy. I've ne- I've never heard any reports 
if anyone's saying like, yes, he was a violent and angry man and I can totally see this, you know, why he did this, or I can totally see how this could have been him. I've never seen any of that from anyone. Doesn't mean it's not out there. Again, I'm not the best researched on this case, but not that I've ever heard of. Mary says, I'd be interested to hear your opinions on how a monster like D'Angelo could suddenly stop terrorizing people. I get that he was getting older. She writes here in parentheses, a few years older than us. At the time, he stopped, Bob Ruff. That is a hell of a thing for you to say to me, Mary. But how is it possible for such a sadistic psychopath to just stop? I find it hard to believe that he didn't satisfy his monstrous urges in some other way. I, I agree, and I and that's why I asked Paul about that. And you know, I, I guess Paul said it. It can be common for different life circumstances to see the world in a different way. You almost wonder, you know, because you know he had two attacks both times right after you know he had a child born. That if those were maybe stressors or triggers for him, um, and if that's the case, maybe when you know his kids get a little older, he just. Uh, you couldn't get away with it. I don't know. I personally, I think that there's a medical reason for it. Mean, you know, maybe, maybe he's got low T. Maybe he's, you know, something. To me, something had to change because I don't think psychologically, someone who you can't fix that. When someone has in their mind that they are getting pleasure out of hurting people and out of the control and out of the power and all the reasons that that. That people rape people. I mean, very, very infrequently is a rape ever about sex. That's not really. It's about about control, and it's about so many different other things. And and when when somebody has that sadistic nature to them, I don't think it ever goes away. The only thing that I can think of for me is that I I don't think that he's like in a look, you know, because I think he's a he's a psychopath. I don't think he. I don't think he has the ability to really feel true love and care about anybody else other than himself. Or he wouldn't be able to do this. There'd be too much guilt. I, I, I don't, so I don't see that guy looking at his daughter and being like, oh, now I see I have a little girl. I, shouldn't, I can never do this. I don't believe that. I think those urges are still there. And the only thing that I can think of, you know, there's, of course, you could be you know, physically not able to do it anymore, but I don't think that's the case because we've seen, you know, at the time he was arrested, how fit, you know, Paul said he's, you know, he's down on surface roads riding his motorcycle 100 miles an hour. He's doing pull ups in prison or in the, in the jail in his cell. So I, I, I always want, almost wonder if it wasn't a, like a hormonal thing. Like somehow, you know, by the, by the grace of God, he, he's struck down with something. I'm not a medic, don't know enough about this, about medical stuff to speak really intelligently on it, but something like, for example, low T, you've heard of like, you know, kind of there, there were times when someone who who sexually assaulted people where they would castrate them because it would stop the production of testosterone. It would take those urges away from them. You know, maybe it was something like that where he just had like maybe like a medical condition where he just lost his energy and lost his desires. And lo- I, I don't know. I, I really don't have a good answer for that. Is, I, I, the reason I asked Paul the question is because I found it very, very strange. When he was caught, because I was a little bit familiar with this case before he was caught, I, w- I, f- I just found it very strange that when he got caught, that he was still around. I thought he's dead. He's in prison. Something has happened. You know, he's 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 been he's been disabled in some way. You know, where he's paralyzed. Something happened where he couldn't do this anymore. The fact that he just stopped is hard for me to wrap my brain around. Michelle says, a lot has been made about the difference in D'Angelo's behavior in court versus his cell. Is it possible that he was sedated while in court? 
If the prison knew he was able-bodied, how did he access a wheelchair? He didn't give him a choice. He was absolutely not sedated in court. And if you, you can look, it, there's documentaries. If you watch, there's a recent 2020 episode about the case where you see some of this footage. But he was. He was like jumping around his cell, kind of like doing pull-ups, doing all this. And he rolls into court, and he looks like this feeble man that could barely hold his head up that's in a wheelchair. And it was all just fake. And as far as how they do, how do you get access to a wheelchair? It was easy. They came in to get him, said, you got to go to your hearing. And he's laying there acting as though he is you know, incapable of moving. And he's got to go. And, and, and they're like, they're telling him to get up and move, and he won't. And he's just, so they, they've got no other choice but to put him in a wheelchair and get him out there. And that's really interesting because I've only seen the, fo- the court footage. Oh, you, you, so I didn't realize that he had not been acting like that. I'm sure there's something on YouTube when we're done here. You need to look up like Joseph D'Angelo in his, in his cell. Okay. Cause I saw it as, you know, look at this feeble old man. You know what I mean? Like, how oh, could he, he possibly have done this? Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess I could see because it, it had happened so long sure, ago, right. but it was like, oh, they finally caught this little old man. You know, look at him. No, they, they, the day they picked him up, he was out on his motorcycle, you know, just, it just ripping down the road. And then, yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's worth, it's worth a Google. Our last question comes from Sarah. Should a court order or search warrant be needed to use ancestral DNA to identify suspects? If so, what parameters would protect due process but still allow the use of this valuable tool? For starters, one thing that, that people need to understand is when they use like GEDmatch or you know, ancestral DNA to, to find an unknown suspect, they're typically not looking for that person's DNA. So the way it works, the way it worked here, was they had DNA from the crime scene. They input that DNA into a system that's designed to find your relatives. And so in, in, in the people that are in that database are people who have done the same thing. I've done it. Zach's done it. You know, where we put, put into, I did mine was Ancestry.com. Yeah, and I did 23andMe. Yeah. And so, you know, these are people who voluntarily put their, their DNA out there for the intent and purpose of finding people they're related to. And so the way this works is, you know, with like D'Angelo, is they, they, they put the DNA from the crime scene in and they gave him a list of here are some people who are fourth cousins to him. Here's people that are third cousins, second cousins. And unfortunately, in his case, they didn't find any real close relatives because then it gets easy if it's like, oh, this person is his father. Yeah, whoever this unknown DNA came from, this is the father of that person. Um, in his case, there were more distant relatives, so they had to, as Paul was saying, they had to start building out family trees to get down to the people that were in the right genealogical line to say, okay, now this left us with 12 people that it could be, and then they started investigating from there. As far as the search warrant and things go, you, if you've done this, you've, you've probably already signed away your right to that. Um, there's waivers and disclaimers, which following the arrest of Joseph D'Angelo, became more clear um i believe because when i did my ancestry.com one it it was very like it popped up and said do you it used to just be like do you agree to these terms yes and it was like listed in there somewhere that it could be used by law enforcement i think but then when i did it it literally i think popped up and said do you want to make your dna available for law enforcement to use in 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 these cases and you have to check yes i do in Senate, which I did because I don't plan on committing any crimes. Well, what would have happened if you didn't? Then I think it wouldn't have been included in the database that is, I, I don't know. So it was as simple as that. You know, I mean, I, 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 it's a good question. I, I don't know. It could be as simple as that, but just like we talked about earlier with like, if you sign anything, all the user yeah. agreements you see, no one reads those, you know what right, I mean? Like, right. 
there there was a whole documentary about that that like they said if you took if you read everyone you ever had to sign, you know, it would take years to read through all of them. Right. So people don't read them and they that's how they put things in. So I'm sure that even if you didn't have to click a button like that, right. it's in there somewhere. Yeah, and I think that's what it was. I think they put it, some of the companies put it more prominently mm-hmm. um, to put it out there. But yeah, it, it's it's a interesting line because you know you were worried about your constitutional rights and due process violations, but it, it, it's it's removed. So that's what makes it interesting. So these people are voluntarily saying, "I'm inputting my DNA into this database, so you can fi- anybody who's related to me can find me, and I can find anybody that's related to me." And then law enforcement says, "Well, I want to know if you're related to this person." You know, it, it's not a real clear cut. You know, it's it, it's not like they're you know you know drawing blood out of your arm and testing your DNA. They're just they're using these publicly available sites to do it. All right, that's it for questions this week. All right, well, thanks everybody. Hope everybody uh, had a good New Year's celebration. Here's to hoping 2021 is a uh, let's just say a better year than 2020. Uh, and we're going to be kicking things off with our main episodes this Sunday. Really cool episode for you. Uh, we've got Chris Lambert on from the Your Own Backyard podcast talking about the disappearance of Kristen Smart. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedIntandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kay Wood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 per month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com and like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at Bob Ruff Truth, 
Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. And Zach can be found at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. This has been Truth and Justice. Tiffany says, "That was, that was a good job, that Zach. Was great, right? A nice little, nice little button on top of the the Sunday of positivity, right? Yeah, icing on the cake. Button on a Sunday. I was trying to help you." <laughs> <laughs>